Hello and welcome to this week's message from Valley Church. Catch up on recent messages and find out what's happening in the life of church by heading to valleychurch.eu or follow us on social media. Enjoy the message. Um, before I start my message, I just I wanted to say a couple of things about Christmas. Um, so for, for those of you who are like the busy, organized Christmas makers, you know, often mums, but not just mums, you know, you busy doing stuff and you have your lists and you, you have Christmas lunch to sort out and all the presents to sort out and decorations and, and all that kind of stuff. Can I just encourage you on this season as your pastor, your friend, just to chill at least occasionally and enjoy the season. Is that all right? Is that okay? Because I know some of you, it's not always mums, but often the mums. You can just chill, take, take a few moments, put your feet back enjoy the season. And for all of you, more like me, who are a bit more chilled and relaxed and, and like you want the season to go well and it's nice when your mum's busy or other people are busy making it all happen, but you're quite happy, can I, can I encourage you to help and assist those who are a little bit more stressed? Would that be okay? And then they can sit down and we can all get... That'd be fun. I just want to say that as a pastor. I don't know why. It doesn't have any reflection in our home at all, so it's fine. This Christmas, we are having a look at Old Testament prophetic statements that Jesus either fulfilled or began to fulfill. And uh, I've been really enjoying the series, the fact that God had this birth planned from the very beginning of time. And I love the fact that, that God, as is shown in Scripture, He has a plan for you and for me. And... Uh, all these promises that, that he's got. You know, God knew that I would be sat there tonight. God knows you'd be sat where you are tonight. And he's a plan to prosper you, a plan to bless you, a plan to give you hope and a future if you would follow him. And part of that plan involved Jesus. And he's had it since the very beginning of time. And the prophecy that I'm going to have a look at tonight, briefly, is found way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis was written by a guy called Moses, who nobody knows, but you've probably heard of him and know something of him, but you don't know him because he's been dead a really long time, about three and a half thousand years. That's quite a long time. In fact, you can date Moses' life really accurately because Solomon made some statements about him, and we know when Solomon reigned. So the scholars, I didn't make the calculations, but seemingly uh, he was born in 1526 AD. And for the, you guys who are good in maths, you'll work out the... B.C., did I say? Yeah, B.C., before Christ, sorry. And he died in 1406, which is a long time ago. And, uh, but he, all the way back there, was inspired by God to write prophecy that Jesus was coming. And so I've entitled my message, because I wanted it to be a bit more radical. This title, it says this, The Birth of the Destroyer of Death and the Giver of Life. I thought he kind of went manly and warm and loving at the same time. Oh, we haven't got a title. There we go. The birth of the destroyer of death and the giver of life. Father, I thank you so much that you are here. I thank you that you love us and that you believe in us. I thank you that you had from the beginning of time a plan that we could be restored in our relationship with you. We could know you personally. We could have a hope and a future both now and for all eternity 
in our hearts. We can know that heaven was our home, that you really are our dad and we really are your children. Father, a way that would mean that even though we've rebelled against you, that we could be set free, forgiven and set free from that and then healed and restored. And Father, I pray tonight, help us to open our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us. If you haven't already been speaking to us, Father, we pray you'd speak to us. Give us soft hearts and minds. And Father, I pray for any here who haven't yet made a decision to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody's already put their hand up. For anybody who hasn't, Father, we pray that they may hear your calling and say yes to you. And Father, I do pray for this season that help us to have opportunities and to take opportunities to invite our friends and our family and our work colleagues and even the French to come and hear your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Did I mention we still love the friends, Dave? They've been really selfish. <laughs> well, Moses begins the book of Genesis at the very, very beginning of time, as I guess all of you know, and talks about God creating the earth. Um, a fun fact for you, almost every, well, every copy I know of of ancient writings actually agree vaguely with how Moses describes the beginning of the world. They all talk about that a God, you know, always use Jehovah God, obviously, but God made the world. The ancients believed universally that God made the world. Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. Considering that they were probably around a bit closer to the people that actually were there in the um, beginning. And they talk about God creating, there being a fall, and there being a flood. Isn't that amazing? It's just the same as the Bible. Um, and Moses begins there, he talks about the general creation, and then he talks specifically about the creation of mankind, that mankind was made in his image, made in his likeness, that it was God's breath was put in him, and he was created to rule over things, to rule over uh, the animals and the birds and the earth itself, and created to be fruitful, to go out and expand across the entire face of the earth. And... At the end of chapter 1, he says that as God saw it all, it wasn't just good, it was very good. And then he goes into chapter 3 about the fall of man, the entering of evil, why it kind of went all pear-shaped, tells about the consequence of rebelling against God's word, was death, and um, how the early mankind was tempted by the serpent, whatever that looked like, whatever that was, the the you know, the original ancient deceiver, and that then he goes, lists the consequences of what happened because of that early rebellion. He talks about women having difficulty in birth, and I'm sure the women go, that's a shame that happened, at least, just a shame, right? A shame it happened, a shame, a shame that happened. Catherine's not really looking at me. More than a shame, maybe. Talks about having to work hard, the ground would be dry and dusty, and that mankind would return to the ground, since when we were taken from dust you are, and to dust we will return, that we would have a, a finite um, living time, apart from two people. Actually, that's maybe not true. Were you told in Sunday school there only two people that didn't die? Yeah? And the two were called Elijah and Enoch. Do you know they're the only two we know of? And I dare some of you to pray. This is completely aside. I dare some of you to pray, God, make me righteous and holy enough to walk straight into heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? 
You could be number three, or perhaps number four, or number five. Because who knows how many have actually made it without dying. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and then this, the serpent, Satan, was also given a punishment. I want to read this punishment out to you. So in Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent. So this is Moses prophesying over in, from God into Satan's life. Because you've done this, he said, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And within this prophecy is this idea that Satan would be a pain in the foot, at least, to human beings from that time forward. And we see it everywhere. We see all the evil that goes on. Yes, some of it's caused by man, some by Satan, all of it by, as a result of this first fall. And how we long, how we long that it wouldn't be the case, how we could, you know, look forward to every day. Wouldn't it be nice when the alarm went, goes off in the morning, you kind of jump out of bed and go, yoo-hoo, it's morning time. Wouldn't that be nice? I've got back from America. I'm still in American time. I have picked up flu, in case you haven't. My, my, my voice is a bit deeper. In fact, one of my offspring said, Dad, your voice is broken. Does that mean that you've grown up? I went, cheeky. And, um, but wouldn't it be nice just to, when the alarm went off? I know some of you feel like that, but most of us don't, right? It's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if every day went right? There's no more sickness or pain or death. The bad people would start doing bad things. I think that's an interesting statement because we're all bad people sometimes. So if all bad people stopped doing all bad things, then we wouldn't exist either. But anyway, that's beside the point. Wouldn't it be nice if children always did as they're told? Wouldn't it be nice if parents were always good parents? Yeah, I'll take it both ways. Wouldn't it be nice if life was full of peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment all of the time? Wouldn't these things be nice, but because of what we did, because Satan is snapping at our heels, it doesn't quite work like that. But the promise is this, that one day the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And anybody who knows anything about biology, if the head gets crushed, that's the end of you. And the idea is, in this prophecy, one day, one day Satan and evil and everything it represents would be done and ended. And this prophecy, this prophecy, this evil being stopped that one day would no longer happen is at least beginning to be fulfilled at Christmas time. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the arrival of the death destroyer, of the one who's going to bring life. So we no longer would die or need to die because of our sin, our evil, our wrong. But actually that would be taken away from us. Because the one would come that would stamp his foot on Satan's head. And that would be the end of it. Forever and ever and ever. And we could walk in light and truth with that person. And Moses said this three and a half thousand years ago. We celebrate that tonight. And 
When Gabriel came to, to, um, to Mary in the sixth month, I suspect he was a little bit excited. Because one and a half, no, whenever time began, let's not go into that discussion, whenever mankind was first created, there'd been a plan. And Gabriel, when he first came to Mary, it was the beginning of that promise being fulfilled. And when I read this story, I know my bits snuffly, but sense the excitement in Gabriel's voice. She's got the privilege. He's got the privilege. Whatever an angel is, has got the privilege to speak into Mary's life. In the six months, so Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went and said, Greetings! You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, to be born will be called the Son of God. I was just reading this this afternoon again. And you know the prophecies about the offspring of a woman will crush Satan's head. I wonder if Moses knew Way back then, it would just be the woman's side that would actually be the one. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say either way, but I, I wonder. Anyway, it makes a prophecy incredibly accurate. It says in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph founds out, he obviously wants to get out of the relationship. It's not his baby, understandable, and an angel comes to him. And it says this in verse 20 of chapter 1. It says this, but after the angel, after he considered this, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, one of his, Gabriel or another one, I wonder if they shared the tasks out in those days. You know, Gabriel, I've had you go. We'll send somebody else this time. Michael, it's your time now. Anyway, don't know. Um, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's so exciting. Because she's conceived, it's not from, it's, it's from the Holy Spirit, it's from God, and she will give birth to son. You are to give him the name Jesus, as he will save his people from their sins. And you have this idea that heaven is now involved, the plan's in operation. And at Christmas, we remember this, and we celebrate this prophecy being fulfilled. He was going to save his people, us from our sins, from death and everything that was happening. And Luke, I love Luke. I love the fact it says at the very start of Luke's book that he diligently researched everything. I love this doctor, this scientist going around speaking to various people. You know, I'm pretty sure before he put this particular story in, he went to talk to some of the shepherds. I would have done right. Some of them have still been alive, the young lads. He still remembered the angels. I'm sure Luke thought, I'm going to search one of those shepherds out. This will be fun. Because wouldn't it be fun to talk to one of the shepherds? It's one of the things I'm going to do when I get to heaven. Go and find a shepherd. Must be some shepherds there, right? Who saw the angels. It has to be, right? It has to be some of them there. Surely. When they met Jesus later on, they said, yeah, I'll follow Jesus for the rest of my life. 
And Luke went and found them, and that's where Luke got this. I suppose he could have possibly got it from Mary, but... Um, and uh, it says so in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said, Don't worry, something amazing's happening. It's cool. The plan, the prophecy, it's happening right now. This good news of great joy for all the people, for everybody, Israelites, non-Israelites, even me. Ed Carter in 2022. Exciting for me and for you. Today in the time of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I wonder if those angels got permission to leave heaven or whether they couldn't resist a quick song to the... Anyway, this exciting happened. This plan was happening. The destroyer of death, the giver of life had come on earth. And this Jesus, this baby, he grew, he lived, he taught, he learnt. He became a teacher he became a miracle worker. He, he wandered around. At least we know, as much as we know, he wandered around Israel. Perhaps he went further afield. We have 30 years in his life. We have no idea what he did. He lived in the Roman world. He could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to Rome. There's odd people think he might have got to Britain, but mm, not sure about that, really. But who knows where he actually went? How far did he go? But he had a ministry, and his ministry was to the Israelites. And he did that, and he lived his life. Eventually, this Jesus, this baby, died and rose again. As I often said when I was young, that's the Easter story, so we'll do that later on. But it kind of needs mentioning, really. But from his life, from this birth, there was results. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we read this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, then death through that sin. In the same way, death came to all people because all have sinned. And verse 15, but the gift, Jesus, is not like the sin, the trespass. For if the many died by the sins of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And uh, verses 18 and 19, and consequently, just as one sin resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. And Ephesians 4 says something similar. Ephesians 4, verses 4 to seven says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called the Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He's the one. And Romans 16 verse 20 says this, the God of peace 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. You see, when Jesus was born, the very start of that first Christmas, God's plan, God's prophecy from in that time about one and a half thousand years since it was written, but from the beginning of time, was, be, was being, beginning to be fulfilled. And even though on the cross Satan thought he'd won on that first Friday, he realized that this promise that God had given, not just to the Israelites, but to the whole world, to all the nations, was now happening and he was in trouble. And so we have this prophecy from so long ago, this Jesus who was born and the Jesus who came back to life, seemingly the prophecy fulfilled, right? So why didn't Jesus just do this? And that would have been that. Because that would have been fine, wouldn't it? Promise fulfilled, all done, Satan squashed, evil finished, and none of us would have existed. And that's why Peter writes these words in 2 Peter 3, verse 8 to 9. And we all should be incredibly grateful that these verses are true. All of us. All of us who are saved, all of us who are not yet saved, but we have loved ones, family, friends, work colleagues, people that don't yet know Jesus. Peter wrote these. Peter, remember Peter? Peter was the disciple that was a bit bolchy, and he was the guy who did the first message. He was the one who denied Jesus, but he got why there was a delay between, as it was, the completion of salvation and the action of that completion of salvation. It says, 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So that means we've had two days since the resurrection. Is that funny? Two days. That's all it's been in God's kind of thinking. Two days so far. How many more days will he give us? A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in my mind, as I've been studying this prophecy, it's like in the beginning of time when Satan was cursed, when the evil was cursed, and then God had this plan, and Moses wrote it down, and then Jesus came. And for the last 2,000 years, church, Jesus has literally had his foot over Satan's head, ahead, going, when, when, God, when do I put it down? When do I put it down? And God's saying, hold. Hold, hold, there's still more, still more to come. There's still you, your salvation. There's still more to come yet. While we have today, there's still more. And this Christmas, when you go, remember, I'm going to say something about, remember what's coming, but remember we're still in the, in today, we're still in the moment of the hesitation, a holy, righteous hesitation. It's finished. It's done. It's why we can celebrate. It's why we can celebrate at Easter. It's already finished. All Jesus is doing is saying, Father, when? Just say when. And it'll be done. I'm all powerful. I prove that nothing can stop me. I've conquered death. I am the Son of God. I am the righteous one. I am the mighty one. Just tell me when, Father. And it'll be done. And God's saying, patience is still more. There's still more. 
don't rush it. There's still more. There's still my Andy, my brother, and Joe, and Ka still Dave and Mel, and still me. Still more. Our children, our brothers, our parents, other people, there's still more. There's still more. So what do we do while we're waiting? Because one day it will end. In a twinkle of an eye, the Bible says. The devil knows it. He feels it, tantalizing over his head. It's why we are more than conquerors, because it's already finished. But there's still more. God is saying, no, just, just hold, just hold. There's still more, still more to come. Well, Peter says simply three things that we should do, and I'll just say them simply. He says in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, he says this, Above all this, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? Where is this promise? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes as it has since the beginning of creation. But they, but they deliberately forget that long ago God's word came into heaven. The first thing Peter said, just be patient. Be patient and understanding of why God is holding. Why we're still living in this broken and hurting world. Why we still get flus and colds and why we don't feel like waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Because it still feels like 2 a.m. in the morning somewhere else in the world. Why death is still here. Why every day isn't an amazing day. Why we don't have peace and joy like we really want to. Where every day doesn't go perfect. Where children aren't always perfect. Where parents aren't always wise and good parents. Where all these things go on. Peter says, be patient. Romans 5, 1 to 5, and I won't read it out to you, but it says, you know, patience produces character and it produces forbearance. It produces fruit. Because Romans 8, 28 says that God uses everything for the good of those who love him. And Peter says, just be patient. Understand why you have to go through what you're going through. It's because God has just said to Jesus, wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. Understand that and persevere with joy for the more that we'll celebrate heaven. With He says, just be patient. I know some people, says Peter, will say, it's just carrying on from generation to generation, but just they're wrong. It's coming. It's coming. So just be patient. Just be patient. The second thing he says, 2 Peter 3 verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And everything done to it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in the way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed. It's coming. If you love Jesus, your lives should be different. Why? Because you understand that Jesus has his foot over the end of everything. Redemption of everything. Your life should look different. You should speak differently. You should act differently. You should think differently. When people meet you, they should sense something different about you because you're living according to what God wants you to live by. And I just want to say to all of you and tell everybody. In the world that we live in, Christians should begin to stand out more and more. 
if you're blending in, you're probably doing something wrong. Because our world's values, as they drift away from our Christian heritage, as they are doing quite rapidly, actually, it should be different. And, it should, and that's okay. That's okay. It's the way it should be. Actually, for most of history, it's been the way it's always been for Christians. Christians have always lived a different way, had different standards, different expectations, because they take them from God's Word, and they say, God, what do you want me to do it? If there's lines in the sand of things they can't or can do, they don't go to the edge and stick their feet over. They they stay well back. Why? Because they want to live a godly and holy life. If you ever say, if you ever ask scripture, God, how close can I get to the line? Can I say that's just a terrible, terrible question to ask? Your question should be, God, help me keep away as far away from that line as possible. Because I want to live a holy and godly life. I want to represent you. Why? I want my friends and my neighbors to know that Jesus has his far over and one day there won't be any more. There won't be any more. It'll be finished. It'll be the end. And I want to show to the world, I personally, I hope you do, you want to show to the world there's something different about us. There's something worth following. There is a Jesus. There is an eternity. There is the end. To live godly and holy lives. And then Peter says, thirdly, let's read from verse 13. He says this. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Where every day will be a good day. And if you do go to sleep, I don't know whether you do or we don't, but when that alarm goes off, we'll get up and feel like we were when we were young. And every day was a new adventure. There's no stress, no problems. We know everybody's going to love us. There's going to be no pain, no death, just joy and peace in the presence of God, in the presence of each other, in the presence of a new heaven and a new earth, whatever that all might look like. But we look forward to this new home. So dear friends, since we're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you about. Let's keep focused. Peter says, keep focused. And guys, it's Christmas. As we have fun, I'm with Mel. We should have, I was just, I whispered to Michelle, I said, you know, Mel's right. Christmas is too temporary. We should have the Christmas lights up all the time. Christmas tree up all the time. We should celebrate it all the time. I think that's a great idea. Mel's doing the youth work, so she can't respond to that one. But anyway, um, but let's keep this promise and all the other promises, this idea of we have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. It's a certainty. It's not a possibility. And we need to keep that in mind every day, every moment of every... It's what Peter says. He says, bear it in mind Look forward to that day. Even, he says, speed the day coming. Get all the more in. So we no longer need to live in this broken and sinful and world that is so often difficult to live in and through. Even with Christ, we have our days where it's not easy. Let's keep that in mind. The Bible explains the presence of evil, wrong, badness, hardship, stress. It foretells, predicts, prophesies is a Christian word. That from the beginning of time, God had a plan when one day Satan and evil and all the consequences of it would be squashed. And when Jesus came as a baby, it was the beginning. 
It's the beginning, the destruction of death, the bringing of life. And when Jesus rose on that day, he stands. God, when? When can this horrible thing finish? And one day, he'll put the foot down. So guys, let's be patient. Let's pursue a lifestyle that will show to the world the joy, the promise fulfilled in our life. Let's keep in mind eternal life, the new heaven and the new earth. Let's remember this Christmas that Jesus brought. His is the destroyer of death and the giver of life. And at Christmas as we celebrate, let's, let's really enjoy it. But when we get a chance, let's share it with everybody who we can. The amazing news that Jesus has arrived. Father, I thank you for this prophecy spoken so many thousands and thousands of years ago. And yet, God, relevant for us today. Father, we thank you that from our perspective, the promise is all but complete, apart from one final word, word from you, which is end it. And at that point, Father, we know that Jesus, metaphorically at least, will put his foot down and crush the head of Satan, and all evil will have gone, and a new heaven and a new earth will come into existence. The old will go on, the Bible says, and the new will come in a twinkling of eye. It will all be done. The old world will have gone, and the new world will come. Father, help us this Christmas to remember the promise and to remember the implications. And Father, thank you. We want to thank you that we are part of the more that you were waiting for. There's still more to come, God, and we pray this Christmas. Fill this place, fill not just ours, but so many churches around the world with the moors, the more people, Lord God, who you've waited, who you've been patient for, so that one day they may enter into the promised life too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you've been impacted by it and would like to respond by choosing to follow Jesus, we'd love to help you to do that. One of our pastors would love to be in touch with you. Why not email response at valleychurch.eu or head to valleychurch.eu forward slash next steps to discover more. We're so excited for your future. Be blessed. Be blessed.